Good morning. Once again, I have been given the extreme privilege of reading scripture today. I'll be reading from the ESV, and if you're, you're invited to follow along with me, uh, it will be 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the entire chapter. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier and does, does so at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. It is for oxen that is, is it for oxen that, that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid on me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I, not, for if I do this of my own will, I have reward. But if not of my own will... I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. 
To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do not forsake, I, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all run the race, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I, and I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. Thanks, brother. Good morning. Do you all know what a colloquialism is? We use them all the time as believers. Uh, we like to say things like, uh, God never gives us more than we can handle. We like to say, what would Jesus do? We say, when God closes a door, he opens a window. And we say, God's, well, some of these things we say, and, and they're not really that accurate, are they? <laughs> But they, uh, these are, these are non-formal ways of communicating maybe what we believe or uh, what we want to communicate. But, uh, but I would just, uh, so a lot of times with these colloquialisms, they become overused and often lose their, uh, lose their um, meaning and impact. They become cliché. And uh, I would submit that rather than using colloquialisms, we actually speak to each other in the Word of God. We use the Word of God uh, in our manner of speaking to one another. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 says such a thing when it says, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. We should replace these cliches with the inerrant and infallible and inspired word of God, which will never lose its power to affect my life toward King Jesus. But I have a saying for you, one that Dave read moments ago. It's not a colloquialism. It will never be cliche. It is the word of God. When he said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. What does it mean to do something for the sake of something else? 
It means for the advancement and the betterment and the furtherance of that thing. It means that we're invoking the authority of that thing and what we're doing. And we look to that instead of ourselves for direction. <clears throat> so I, I'm thinking of what is the theme of the gospel? How would it affect my life on a day-to-day basis in actual real time when I'm confronted with situations, whether good or bad? The theme of the gospel is redemption and forgiveness, righteousness, holiness. These words ought to define our behavior if we are living for the sake of the gospel. This is for the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's for his eternal purpose in his people. We do this in word. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news of good things. Also in Mark 16, 15, we're commanded to do this in word when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to all creation or to every creature. And we find in Philippians 1.27 that he tells us, that Paul tells us to only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Just to give you a little backstory for context for gospels or for Paul's gospel ministry and calling, um, I'd like to just share with you uh, that Paul's entire ministry activity can be summed up in this one word, gospel. It's the Greek word evangelizomai. He saw his vocation to be the specially chosen herald of the mystery of God's plan of salvation and especially to the Gentiles. In Acts 20, 24, um, it's said, or Paul says, but I do not make my, my life of any account nor dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And he also says in Romans uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, listen to his heart in this. In 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and foolish. In this way, for my part, I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What caught my attention on that verse is he says, I'm under obligation to these people. Other translations say that he's in debt to them. He feels such a burden and a call from God that until he has told 
all of these people, uh, he feels as though he's just in debt to them, like he owes it to tell them. God saved him by his grace, by nothing that he deserved in any way, shape, or form. And that has now influenced him to, in love and in his calling, be burdened to feel as though he's in debt to these people to communicate that message to them. I love that wording. Also, Romans 15, 20, he says, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel. Philippians 1, 16, he says, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, 23 that we just read, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. In our passage here, we're in 1 Corinthians 9, like Dave just read. And we see in verses 1 through 19 where he is willingly surrendering his rights that he has in order for the furtherance of the gospel. And I wonder today, are we willing to lay down those rights which we hold so near and dear to our hearts for one purpose, only for the advancement and the furtherance and for the sake of the gospel? We love our rights and liberties would we surrender those for Jesus' sake, for the gospel's sake? Paul is willing to give up any and every right for this advancement of the kingdom. He says in verse 19 of our passage in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win the more. This slave is a very uh, strong word for enslavement. It's the edulosa it's to make subservient and to put up or put under obligation this word is used in Acts 7 6 speaking of Israel's bondage for 400 years in Egypt in doing so Paul is following the Lord's teaching of Mark chapter 10 and verse 44 when the Lord says whosoever wishes to be first among you shall be a slave of all. And in verse 20 here in 1 Corinthians 9 and on, um, he is willing to lay down and set apart his scruples even for the sake of the gospel. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are out law, as without law, though not being without law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might by some means save some. We have to check our prejudices at the door for the sake of the gospel. He's speaking of religion and race, nationality. Um, so many things here that he is listing here that he is, for the sake of the gospel, laying aside. We have to be willing to lay aside and defer our scruples for the sake of the gospel. The gospel is not limited by race and gender and social and cultural differences. We find, and we just read, 
that it's the power of God to those who are being saved. We just read that in Romans 1.16. It's not limited by wicked spiritual uh, forces or human agents. It's the power of God. This power that we see in Romans 1.16 is the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. Uh, it's an extreme power. It's the holy... It, um, it's in fact the power of the Holy Spirit himself. So we're, we're going to see that the gospel is God's plan of God's power to save God's people. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, the gospel carries with it the omnipotence of God, whose power alone is sufficient to save men from sin and to give them eternal life. By the way, being ashamed of the gospel is the opposite of all this, isn't it? Being ashamed of the gospel is not doing anything for the sake of the gospel. If you're ashamed of it, you will do nothing for it to advance it. In this statement that he makes here in verses 20 through 23, Paul is crossing so many borders, religious, national, cultural, social. Paul is willing to set aside any of his personal habits and preferences to the end that he would not offend or cause someone to stumble. By the way, if there's an offense of the gospel, let it be of the gospel and not of ourselves. The gospel proclaims that man is sinful and destitute of righteousness and lost and without hope. That in itself will offend and let God's will be accomplished in his word. But let none of us be the source of the offense because of the speech and mannerisms that we choose. Let us preach out of pure motives as he talks about in Philippians chapter 1. So he says here, 1 Corinthians 9 again, in verse 20, to the Jews he became a Jew. He, was, he would follow their traditions along with them. That certainly had no effect on his spiritual life, on Paul's spiritual life. He did not uh, allow these things to inform his walk with the Lord in any way. Uh, just to abide by ceremonial regulations and observing special days, refraining from eating, eating certain foods. But this participation with them would allow an open door of witnessing. And the same uh, along with those who are under the law. He did not believe or teach that following the law was any of, of any spiritual benefit. Um, what were now, well, what were once legal restraints to him are now restraints of love toward these people. And in verse 21, he talks about those who are without law. And Paul was also willing to live as a Gentile amongst the Gentiles. And he even adds verbiage to this statement that he makes to point out that uh, he doesn't want to be misunderstood, that he's not ignoring God's moral law or the written law. Uh, though he lived them, he was not living like them, just as we are in the world and we are not of the world. And in verse 22, Paul became weak 
by willingly conforming to the, scrup the scruples of the weak. Um, just right before this passage in 1 Corinthians 8, he describes that at length. Not eating uh, meat sacrificed to idols, if that was going to be an offense or cause a stumbling block for somebody. But he says, I have become all things to all men. <clears throat> Which, in fact, he did not compromise the gospel. Uh, this is not advocating some form of syncretism. Um, he was not compromising the gospel message in any way. He's, he's promoting considerate uh, evangelism in this way so as to not be a stumbling block. He says he became all things to all men. He would, he would abase himself as needed for the sake of the gospel. And he, therefore he gets to his uh, verse here, his statement in verse 23 where he says, I do all things for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. There was nothing he would do to obstruct it purposely. So let's define what the gospel is, shall we? It's the message of God's news regarding the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, proclaiming God's offer of salvation to all who believe. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 1.16 again, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the historic fact that Jesus, who is God, came into his creation through his creation so that the world through him might be saved, as he himself said in John 3.17. We're saved from sin's power and penalty and punishment. We're saved into a relationship with the one and only true God who now gives us his peace which passes all understanding and promises us abundant life on earth and eternal life in his presence forever in glory. And now you know, and I'm sure you knew, why it's called the good news. That is extraordinary good news in that we were destitute without him and now he's made a way for us to have relationship with him. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, it's the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. So what does it mean to not obey the gospel? The Bible gives us warning regarding those who do not obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 through 9 says, Since it's right for you to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give rest to you who are afflicted and to us as well at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction 
away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This is a very stark reality of those who do not obey the gospel. Not obeying the gospel means um, to reject the salvation which God offers through the sacrifice of his only begotten son. That is to reject the gospel. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, recognizing his death on that cross as punishment for your sins, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says that, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As we move on here in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, we see that Paul has a spiritual discipline about his manner of proclaiming the gospel. He's saying, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore, run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In the in uh, Greek, um, in their society there, they had two uh, large athletic events, one of those being the Olympic Games, and the other was the Isthmian Games. And those Isthmian Games were held right here, in, right there in Corinth. Um, in the, and we do not run, so this is a... This is an, an analogy that they can understand and see with their own two eyes that um, these individuals are training and preparing for this all-important games that they're participating in. They make their body their slave in order that they may accomplish what their end goal is. And we do not run as though we are competing against each other, by the way. We run as though uh, we are competing against the obstacles. Do any of you have obstacles in your life? I know I do. Every Christian runs his own race. And through the context here, I think that Paul is saying that he himself is his obstacle. Because he's saying he makes his body his slave. Our bodies tell us when to eat, where to eat, what to eat. And I feel like a lot of times we're, in a way, a slave to our body. But Paul is saying here that he makes his body his slave. He has discipline toward himself in order to not fulfill the will of the body, but the will of the Lord for the sake of the gospel. Our obstacles are our sin nature from the first Adam, which includes the works of the flesh. And this can also include spiritual laziness and unbelief. 
and holding tightly to personal liberties and rights. We also have outside obstacles in spiritual warfare that want to influence our actions and behavior away from Christ. But Paul wouldn't allow that. In verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul disciplines himself like these athletes discipline themselves and preparing for the race that they must run. The root word used here for slave is the same that we looked at earlier. He said, I make myself a slave to all. In both verses, Paul is putting his body in subjection and slavery to fulfill this call on his life. It's much easier to be a slave to our bodies than to have our bodies be slave to the gospel. Paul had a single purpose in the furtherance of the gospel, both in his discipline training and his outpouring of service. In Romans 13, 14, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. So how are we disciplining ourselves for the sake of the gospel? 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says, and he died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves but but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I will live for Christ for the sake of the gospel. Not that we are... Well, let's turn to Philippians 1.27, please. This one verse he says, only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to you and see you or remain absent, I will hear about your circumstances that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind contending together for the faith of the gospel. Only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, he says. Not that we ourselves are worthy recipients in any way, are we? But that we conduct our manner of life and our walk according to his high calling, which he has put on our lives in this way. This is to all of us, he says, only, only live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. This word only leaves room for nothing else. Only conduct yourselves in this way. It's not, it's not that you're only serving the Lord in every breath that you do, but that you're conducting yourself in a manner that is worthy of his calling in your life. And this word worthy means appropriate and fitting. It means that it's suitable that we conduct our manner of living always and only reflect and 
that it would be considered appropriate, proper, and fitting of the gospel of Christ. Let this forever direct our thoughts and actions and words. This means that whatever we are engaged in, our demeanor, inward and outward behavior is appropriately coinciding with God's standard. In every aspect, every facet of life. At work, we're to be above reproach and full of integrity. Let me read a passage for you. And this just doesn't apply to work. This applies in all respects of life. Psalm 15 says, O Yahweh, who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? And who walks blamelessly and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart? He does not slander with his tongue. He does evil, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but whose honor, but who honors those who fear Yahweh. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. But we see how that's speaking of such an upright person that even the things that they do, they swear to their own hurt. They'll make a promise or a commitment and they won't back down off of it. We're to be above reproach and full of integrity. We're also to have this standard of living for the sake of the gospel, worthy of the gospel, not only at work, but also in every facet. At school, we do not sacrifice truth on the altar of tolerance. At home, we uphold God's righteous standard and teach all who enter our doors to do the same. In public, we do not give in to social pressures that are in opposition to the word of God. At church, we encourage our brothers and sisters to do the same. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may stimulate one another to love and good works. What happens when the church does not conduct themselves worthy of the gospel? If we live in a manner that does not reflect the holiness, righteousness, and truth, we lose all credibility in the message we claim to believe and follow. And above all, the gospel and name of Christ is dishonored. We give him a black eye. God forbid that we do such a thing. It is essential that our manner of life be consistent with the message that we proclaim. Again, Charles Spurgeon. He says, it will be a sad day for the church when the world or it'll be a sad day for the church and the world when there is no distinction between the children of God and those of this world. Philippians 2, 15 and 16 says, so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, beholding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have 
reason to boast because I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What he's saying here is we're to be blameless and innocent without blemish. We shine as lights. This word for blameless is um, uh, it's considered righteous, following the law, pure and holy. And we're to be innocent, which is uh, speaks to the fact of unmixed metals, pure refinement, and without blemish means without defect, um, especially morally. Just remember that the world does not hold us to their standard. The world holds us to our standard, which is Christ, and we hold each other to our standard. To live in a manner worthy of the gospel is to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Please turn with me to Colossians uh, chapter 1. We're going to work our way through here four verses. But in these four verses, we're going to be skipping around all over these these prison epistles here, these four books. Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. But we looked at what it means to live for the sake of the gospel. And what we're going to find here is definitions, attributes for those, the gospel life, for those who are living for the sake of the gospel. These are our attributes, the things that we will show forth. But his command in Philippians 127 is that we walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now we're going to see here a very similar charge. Colossians 1, 9 through 13 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will with, uh, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and multiplying in the full knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son in love. Did you catch in verse 9 and verse 11 who enables us for this such a thing? How can we say that we are walking worthy of the Lord? How can we even attempt such a thing? Verse 11 gives us these two words, strengthened and might. Very similar to the same word of power that we had from uh, Romans 1.16, that it's the power of God. These words are dunamu and dunamis. They are Greek words, which we get our word dynamite. Again, both here used in verse 11. It's God's enabling power that we may be constantly strengthened. We have to trust in the Lord in this way that he will allow us to walk worthy of him. He receives and is pleased with that which he also enables us to do. 
knowing that it's not of our own strength that we do anything. We must pray for ourselves and for each other, other believers, for God's enablement to walk worthy of him and that God would be pleased to do that and answer that prayer. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do his will by doing in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, John MacArthur says, God gives us his ethics and he gives us the power to follow them, to live them out. Christian growth and obedience have nothing to do with our own power. Christian growth and obedience are by God's power. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. And also 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are, su- are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. For the sake of the gospel. Colossians 1.10, he says, So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the knowledge of God. We're going to squeeze this here a little bit. God has not left us to our own resources. He has given us the same indwelling Holy Spirit who inspired this very command. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 says that he would give you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being firmly rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Did you notice there was four dimensions there? Breadth, length, height, and depth. We live in a three-dimensional world. And I think that God is going to show us another. God is providing that which he commanded of us to walk worthy of him. This is walking in a pattern of daily conduct to his honor and glory. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. I mentioned a few passages here that we're going to look at. Gospel attributes. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I'm not giving all of the gospel attributes in the New Testament. I would encourage you all to do some homework and find more yourselves. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
being diligent to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. These are the attributes of the gospel life. I think we have a response to give to the Lord and that we would say, God, for the sake of the gospel, I will walk in humility. I will walk in gentleness. I will walk in patience. I will walk in forbearance. I will love in diligence to keep unity and peace, as it says here. Looking at God's word here, we find these gospel imperatives that inform us how we're to walk worthy of God. This is how God looks at us and sees us as being worthy in him. He enables us, and we want to please him in all respects, which is the next portion here of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. It says to please him in all respects. That means to anticipate to do his wishes in every aspect of life, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what it says in Ephesians 5.10. Just as God ordained that in the marriage relationship. 1 Corinthians 7.33. Spouses ought to be looking and seeking how they may please each other. Our duty and joy is to do the things that bless the heart of God. Again, another passage here that we have of gospel attributes. It's Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 10. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, nor filthiness and, filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no one sexually immoral or impure or greedy who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of that light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing in the Lord. Here Paul is exhorting the Ephesians to walk according to these gospel attributes, not only for the sake of the gospel, but for the sake of the individuals. He's pointing out in this one some negative attributes, right? Attributes of those who oppose the gospel. People in patterns of gross uh, lifestyle sin should question the genuineness of their walk with the Lord. We must show the fruit of repentance mentioned in Matthew 3, 8. Living, in the same, living the same manner of life as we did before Christ saved us does not indicate fruit of repentance. The list of the attributes which oppose the gospel life are sexual immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, Foolish talk, coarse jesting, 
and idolatry. But now God has saved us according to his grace and mercy and has made us light in the Lord, children of light, to manifest luminous rays of his supreme authority, bearing the fruit of his goodness, righteousness, and truth. But we have here also the attributes of the gospel life as well. So to that, we agree with God and say, I will imitate God. I will walk in love as Jesus loved me. I will be thankful as a child of God's light. The fruit of my life shall be goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is our response in walking worthy to God. And this should be what we are in agreement with for the sake of the gospel. And continuing on in Colossians 1, verse 10, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Fruit is what is reaped from what is sown. And what you sow, you will reap. Galatians 6, 8 says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Our fruit will always reveal who we are. It always happens. Jesus says, John 15, 4 to 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We also have in Galatians the fruit of the Spirit. We also have a list of the works of the flesh, similar to what we looked at already. I would encourage you to read through those this week. Galatians 5, 16 through 23. But your true nature will always be seen in the fruit that you produce. And in Galatians 5.21, he talks about those who practice such things, and he's talking about the, the works of the flesh. And this, that statement shows that the individuals he is warning are continuing to follow a lifestyle pattern of fleshly sinful living, and therefore their conversion is questionable. And it's likely that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Matthew 12, 33 to 35 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. A good man brings out of his treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Your true nature will always be seen in the fruit you produce. And the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit, this is the good fruit of the truly born-again, blood-bought believer, follower of Christ who is walking in the Spirit, in the precepts and power of God. 
And then finally in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says that we're multiplying in the full knowledge of God. This is Mark's of the spiritual growth which he's speaking of, multiplying in the full knowledge of God. These marks are love for God's word. Psalms 119 and verse 97 says, "How Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Another mark of spiritual growth is increased obedience. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Another mark of spiritual growth is enlarged faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is only fitting because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of each one of you all toward one another increases all the more. And another mark of spiritual growth is abounding love. Philippians 1.9 says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in full knowledge and discernment. I have a whole nother passage I want to go through, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Colossians 3, 18. Or excuse me. Colossians 3, 8. <clears throat> I encourage you to read that this week. But uh, we know that we're to do these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. In verse 17 in that passage of Colossians 3, he says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we must ask ourselves, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? The only good things that we do are in the name of the Lord Jesus. Those things are things that are worthy of the gospel and worthy of the Lord. His glory is the, name, is the aim of all of our actions and words. Whether then you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God for the sake of the gospel. I want you to allow those words to resonate and meditate on those words this week, I ask, because for the sake of the gospel, we forgive others. For the sake of the gospel... I'm going to repent of my sin. For the sake of the gospel, I'm going to love others. For the sake of the gospel, I will be, I will be thankful. I will be patient. I will forbear. I desire purity, righteousness, and holiness. I will speak truth for the sake of the gospel. I will portray God's goodness for the sake of the gospel. I will be portraying humility for the sake of the gospel. Gentleness, desiring unity and peace. I will speak wholesome words for the sake of the gospel. I will be an imitator of God and be compassionate. I will be kind. I will portray joy. I will be faithful to share the gospel. I will portray self-control. My conduct will not be defined by the works of the flesh. My conduct will be defined by the fruit of the Spirit. My highest desire is to see God glorified. And all these things I cannot do by my own strength, but only by the strength which God supplies. Above all, has your manner of life been worthy of the gospel of Christ? 
Do you live for him who died for you? Am I intentionally living for the sake of the gospel? Now to the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, our Lord Jesus, equip you in every good thing to do his will by doing in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we are so thankful to you for your word, for your instruction to us, God. We are thankful to you that uh, Christ came obedient to you, that you sent him, and that we are now called into your presence, God, by your Holy Spirit, Father. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for allowing us this opportunity to have fellowship with saints here this morning, God. I just pray that you would nourish our hearts in and through this time that we have together in the midst of your church, Father, Lord, for the sake of the edification of one another and so that we may encourage each other unto love and good works. And let us have these words resound in our ears this week, Father, for the sake of the gospel. How do I respond to my situations, God, for the sake of the gospel? Help us to do that this week, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.